You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Well, last week we spent our time discussing true repentance versus false repentance, and we spent a lot of time looking at that and detailing what real repentance looks like and comparing that to Nebuchadnezzar in his acknowledgement of the Lord. And that actually goes right into our study today as we enter into chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. So we're going to just read the first couple verses and then we'll kind of recap what we went over last week and then how that plays a pretty pivotal role in the opening verses of chapter 3. So if you're there with me, Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was threescore cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now I want to pause here and just interject that some of these people would not have been alive were it not for Daniel and his interpretation of the dream in chapter 2 that we talked about. A lot of those people on that list who were invited here to this event would have been killed if the king's dream had not been interpreted. So just keep that in mind. Verse 3 says, Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then in herald cried aloud, To you it is command- commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, just to recap from last week, we went over the king's response to Daniel's interpretation of the dream. And if you remember, he answered by first worshiping Daniel, but then Daniel seems to have corrected him. And he then agrees that God was someone to be recognized, you know, that God has power and, and, and knows things that no one else can know and, and that God can reveal secrets. And so he attributes these great abilities to God, but we pointed out that his repentance was not true repentance. It didn't go far enough. And today, why that's important in our study is 
because we see following the king's answer, we see the king's actions. So he promoted Daniel. We talked about that. But then his pride is on display here because he indulges in idolatry. So the image here that that is mentioned in verse 1, I do not think it was actually an image of Nebuchadnezzar or even of any person. I don't think it was in the image of a man. But more than likely, it was an image to a false god such as an Egyptian obelisk, which is basically sort of like the shape of the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. So because of the dimensions, if you look at the dimensions, and there are several commentaries who point this out and who have done study on this in depth, but the dimensions, you know, is basically 10 times taller than it is wide. So it makes it seem like it wasn't in the shape of a person or of King Nebuchadnezzar, or I think sometimes people think that just because of the image from chapter two and the king's, the vision that the king saw, so the king's dream. But just because this follows that in the next chapter doesn't mean that's what this image is. This seems to be a different image. But the point is that right after making the statement that Daniel's God was, you know, a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets and all those things that Nebuchadnezzar said, immediately after that, he erected this statue, this image, this idol, and commanded everyone to assemble and worship it. And there's people here from all all over his kingdom, people from who speak different languages, from different provinces, a lot of people from his court. So this is a big deal. And really it's just Nebuchadnezzar's pride on display. He wanted to bring everyone together to assemble, to worship this image that he had set up to some false god. Now, true repentance will always have fruit. Although it is important to to say that it might not always be evident to everyone who is around. So, just because fruit isn't evident doesn't mean there isn't fruit there, but true repentance will always have fruit. And it's equally possible that an unrepentant person could produce what looks like fruit, but it's not true fruit. So, what I'm trying to say is that our own judgments can easily be wrong. And that's why ultimately God is the judge because he's never wrong. He sees what's on people's hearts. He knows when it's true repentance and when it's not. We can be mistaken because someone may seem to repent and they don't. Someone may not produce any fruit visible to us or to the other onlookers, but God may see repentance in that person's heart. So God is ultimately the judge, but This was Nebuchadnezzar's fruit right after his statement. So his actions still show us that he is still an idolater and not in any form a child of God. He has not repented. He's not converted and become a child of God. He is still an idolater. So that's that's what we see here. And that's why it's so important that our repentance be real. What does it take to be saved? Well, we have to understand the gospel and then we have to repent of our sin and then we have to trust in Jesus to save us from our sin. 
And the Bible is very clear that if we do that, there will be fruit from that. And Nebuchadnezzar here, he's an example of, of so many people. He represents the vast amount of people who have done lip service to God and who have confessed something about God. Maybe they've said a creed or they've said a prayer or they've you know, made some statement about God that they claim to believe in, but they haven't truly repented. And that's what really matters. That's what makes someone a child of God. So let's move on into chapter three. This is a very popular chapter. This is the chapter where Daniel's three friends, not Daniel, but his three friends go through the fiery furnace. And really it's just for these three godly men of Israel, it's testing time. And thankfully, they chose to obey God rather than man, as we read in Acts 5.29. But before we get into what these men do, the, the stand that they take, and their, their testing that they go through, today we're just going to look at the beginning of this chapter. And we're going to start out by looking at the mandate itself. Okay, The mandate has to do with the image. We already talked about the image. Probably just a pagan um, statue here. But then we, we got into a little bit the invitation. Just think about all these people who were invited to this event. Basically, anyone who is anybody, which kind of begs the question, why wasn't Daniel invited to this? Or at least we don't read about Daniel in this chapter, and you would think that we would. Well, basically, a couple of couple um, possibilities to that would be that he could have been off on business for the kingdom. Um, He could have been sick. He could have been somehow hindered from coming, prevented from being there. Because it stands to reason if he had been there, we would have read about him being thrown into the fiery furnace as well. But basically everyone who served the king or who was a ruler in a province or who was even anyone of notoriety from these provinces was invited and actually required to come. Because when the king invited you, especially Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't optional to come. You didn't have to RSVP. This was mandatory. You had to show up. So all these people do, they come and they stand before the king and the instructions were very clear. As soon as you hear the music, you are to bow down to the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. That's what we read in verse 5. But I want to I want to kind of pause here and draw some application because I know this is not the main point of this passage, not the main point of this chapter, but I do just kind of want to go on an intentional side trail and point out that what indicated to them that they were to worship this false image was, in verse 5 it says, all kinds of music. And I just think it's so interesting that there is a certain type of music that always accompanies idolatry. So think for a minute about, we talked about the mandate, but what about the music that went along with this mandate? See, the mandate didn't stand on its own. It was put into effect. It was um, basically, what am I trying to say? The, the mandate was commenced using music. Music was the tool 
that put the mandate into effect. And we have to think about the kind of music that we listen to. Okay, because the Bible doesn't come right out and say, you know, which albums to listen to, which artists to listen to, and which ones not to listen to. But the Bible does give us a lot of clear principles about the music we should listen to. For example, it should be saturated with lyrics that are full of scripture. The music we listen to and sing should be scripture driven, should be Bible focused, should be filled with rich doctrine. Um, The New Testament also tells us it should be melody based shouldn't be focused on rhythm or harmony or these other things. So the Bible does give us a lot of principles. We should sing a new song. It shouldn't be the same as what the world sings. It should have distinction and a new message full of hope. We shouldn't sing music or listen to music that is chaotic, that is uncertain, that is um, not decently and in order. So the Bible gives us a lot of principles. And what the vast majority of music that's used in worship today is more accompanied with idolatry than with what should be Christianity. And I'm talking about a lot of the most popular artists, a lot of the most popular albums, a lot of the contemporary Christian music we should not be listening to because it is associated with the world the world's idolatry with self, it's emotion-based, and it's all focused on me. It's focused on the listener. It's focused on worshiping self or pleasure or some false uh, object of our praise instead of the Lord and true holiness. And the same could be said of the worldly music, the country music, the rock music. We need to be really careful about the music we listen to because This wasn't just a mandate. There was music that went along with this mandate. And we're going to look more at the stand that Daniel's friends took next week as we get into this chapter. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect and it's everything you need to live for him.